Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all of your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechtekhelp.com. That's reliabletechhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeart, and others. Please interact with us online. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share our content. We would love to hear from you. Today, our guest is Jack Podhast. Welcome. Thank you. Jack's with Foundation Insurance. They do life, property, and casualty, and that's commercial and personal insurance. He's the branch manager for the office here in Louisville, Kentucky, and their headquarters is in Falls Church, Virginia, right? That's correct. Well, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast, Jack. Tell us more about yourself and uh, Foundation Insurance and uh, 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 why you're here. Yeah. So I moved here to Louisville about seven years ago and uh, moved down here to open up our branch in Louisville. So I'm actually I'm a third-generation insurance agent, but I'm a second-generation to the business. Uh, so my dad founded the agency in 1994, uh, the basement of our house. Um, and, you know, we've had a lot of success um, writing with a lot of different carriers, but in particular um, our kind of our flagship carrier, Erie Insurance. And, um, you know, when I first <laughs> kind of back that up a little bit, when I, when I first graduated college, um, I thought, oh, I don't want to work for dad. You know, I don't want the, the nepotism and blah, blah, blah. So I went to work for a sales company in Washington, D.C., selling uh, copiers and document management systems and uh, just got a lot of experience um, doing cold calling, working with business owners, um, you know, that type of thing. So after doing that for about a year, my dad came to me and said, hey, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I was engaged at the time. And he said, hey, you've got this great opportunity. Our, our flagship carrier, Erie, they're they're." Um, expanding. They're only in 11 states in D.C. right now. They're expanding to a 12th state, Kentucky. You know, this would be, could be a great opportunity for, for you and, and your fiancé to, to move to an area that's less expensive than D.C. and, yeah. uh, you know, start a family, that type of thing, and manage your own office and kind of be your own boss, that type of thing. So that intrigued me. So we, um, you know, took, kind of took the leap of faith. My wife was a uh, Navy brat, so she's used to moving. She was like, "Yeah, I'll move. Let's do it." Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, didn't know anything about Louisville or Kentucky, um, but I thought it was a great opportunity. The more I talked to my dad about it, the more I just kind of you know prayed about it, everything like that. So, um, so we did. So I worked for my dad in the Virginia office with my brother as well. My brother's in the business and had been at that point for about four years. Um, that was a really fun year and a half working both with both of them. Our offices were all. I was in a cube. They had offices. Yeah, paying <laughs> um, your dues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were all right next to each other, and then you know, so that was that was really fun. I learned the business, and um, and then like I set out to do, I um, when Erie decided to, or when Erie first kind of rolled out their commercial policies, I uh, came down here and opened our branch, and um, here we are, seven years later. We've experienced a lot of growth, and it's been a lot of fun. Nice. Now, what made um, you guys choose Louisville? Yeah, so I think um, when. When they had the opportunity to say, hey, we want you to expand into Kentucky, there was kind of some stipulations. They said, we want you to open up a brick-and-mortar office. We want it to be kind of retail-esque because Erie doesn't like to advertise. Um, uh, they like to, to kind of do that with their through their agents. So um, the only requirement was you got to open up an, you know kind of a retail storefront, um, but you can choose anywhere you want to be in the state. So basically chose Louisville because it was the most populated city. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, most businesses, most people. And you were, you were restricted at that point to Kentucky anyways, right? So there was Louisville or Lexington, essentially. Yeah, right? pretty okay. much. Those were the two cities they looked at. Um, I don't know if they looked at Bowling Green at all. Pretty much, I think, just looked at Louisville and Lexington. Yeah. So Louisville was, was a little more populated, a little bigger of a city, yeah. and then kind of started looking, kind of drilling down where in Louisville they wanted to be and stumbled upon St. Matthews, and so we've been there ever since. Yeah, you mentioned uh, kind of cutting your teeth out of school, um, doing sales. I recommend everybody, even if you don't plan on doing sales for a career, at least just take a sales job temporarily. The skills that you learn there, uh, communicating with people, um, your logical and critical thinking skills, you have to be able to hone all that um, to be able to be successful at sales. And I think those skills translate to almost every aspect of life. You can have better personal relationships, better professional relationships. And then if you decide to stay in sales, um, we all know that the top of the sales uh, uh, 
community makes more money than doctors and lawyers <laughs> and even business. I mean, sales is where it's yeah. at. And regardless of what type of economic environment you're in, political environment, business environment, companies always need good salespeople, yeah. right? So if you can develop that skill, um, you, you have a lifelong ability to earn a nice a nice living and build a nice life for yourself. So I wanted to, I wanted to mention that. What what do you think you you, you brought with you um, besides obviously sales and learning about copy machines and printers? <laughs> what do you think you brought with you from that to the current position that you're in? Yeah. So you know I think confidence was big um, when I first and like and the ability to to take no for an answer, but well, I take that there's kind of two parts to that getting no as an answer and combating that, you know, overcoming that objection, but then also being able to handle rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started out at the copier company I was working at, um, we had nine people in my like class of like recruits. So it was me and like six other people right out of college and one or two other people. And we had this three week training program and then, and then they set us loose, and it was cold call, cold call, cold call. And there's a lot of rejection involved oh, yeah. in that. <laughs> or 80%, 90% probably? <laughs> yes, it, yeah, it's pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, you know, some of it might be, oh, I'll be interested in talk to you, but I just signed a new lease, and my lease and my copy will be up in five years, you know, call me back then. It's like, yeah. you know. Um, so it was funny. So all these people that I thought were in, they were in my training class that were really smart, um, high-energy people that I thought were being really successful, um, ended up flaming out within the first couple months. I mean, I was there, you know, when I hit month 12 uh, at that company, I was one of two people left in my training class. Wow. (laughs) Um, So you learn how to handle rejection. You learn the confidence and the ability to talk to business owners. And, and, you know, because I think when you're first starting out, when I was, you know, 22, 23 years old, I didn't think I was, my time was that, like, this business owner's, wouldn't be I wouldn't be worth their time yeah and you kind of learn that no I have something to offer I have an expertise I know what I'm doing I can provide value to their business you know and and you kind of that almost like kind of flip you know now that I've been doing what I've been doing for for you know eight or nine years it's almost kind of the opposite now I'm like hey my time's really valuable if you you know if you want to meet with me then you've got to be prepared to to like actually, you know, provide something that I can work on. I'm not going to just go waste my time. So yeah, you kind of have to have that transition, I think, in your head that that no, I, I'm an expert. I'm, you know, I'm I can do this. I'm I'm worth worth the time. Um, and when you have that mindset, it kind of changes things. Like they talked about, like a lot of times in my training, they're like, don't uh, don't be tell your tell these business owners that you're just completely available and free, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, because they'll come off as desperate or yeah, not successful. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, I'd love to meet with you, but I, you know, I'm, I'm busy for the next two weeks. Right, <laughs> you know? even if it's not I'm true. booked up, yeah, yeah, just like making yourself sound more busy. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to get on this guy's calendar. Like, he yeah. must be offering something. So, you know, you don't have to necessarily do it that way, but I just think um, having that mindset sure. and confidence goes a long way. Yeah, perception is reality, and uh, you're not doing anything dishonest. You didn't tell them you were booked up for the next two weeks. You just said, I have an opening two weeks from now at 4 p.m. And so exactly. It yeah. makes you look like you're more in demand than you might be. And uh, I think everybody that made it uh, as a business owner or in some uh, sales capacity respects that hustle, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that you made those code calls, you paid your dues, um, you learned kind of how to talk to people. And for me, it's about relating to people. Definitely. Learning what language they speak. Um, one of the many things I've learned from being in business, I think it's really helped round me out as a human being, is I'm around really conservative people. I'm around really liberal people. I'm around apolitical people. I'm around the, a, a broad spectrum of people. And if I'm going to do business with these folks, develop a relationship and do business with them over the long term, which is what I really want, uh, I tell folks, I, I don't want one-off transactions. I want relationships. I want to be doing business with you 10 years from now. If I'm going to do that, I've got to learn how to talk to them, and I've got to, I got to develop some level of empathy to be able to put myself in their shoes. Um, I'm not the most conservative person politically. I've got some conservative views, some liberal views, but I can have a conversation with the most rabid Trump fan or the most rabid anti-Trump leftist you know person so uh, and that and that translates into your personal life too i think it, it's helped me, me understand my wife better and my son and my friends and uh, people i interact with so i'm a big proponent of sales even if you don't plan on doing that the rest of your life i think getting that experience uh learning how to talk to people learning how to relate to people uh and connect with people uh, is really helpful so um you mentioned um 
sales. I think that would uh, translate directly into what you're doing now because you're not just out there writing policies and wearing many hats. You're also, you have to communicate with your staff and you have to learn how each person is motivated a little bit differently, right? Mm -hmm. Each person responds to different incentives and the way you talk to them. And uh, um, there's, there's, a, there's a whole art that I'm sure that you're learning there too when you're managing people. Tell us about foundation insurance. What separates you guys from the typical uh, insurance company someone might be doing business with? Obviously, you don't have the marketing budget and overhead of Allstate and Farm Bureau and State Farm and et cetera. And I'm, I'm assuming that translates into you guys have having more competitive uh, rates and, and products and so forth. Yeah, so I think, you know, as separates us as an agency, um, you talked about relationships, being able to relate to people. We're extremely relationship-oriented. We always try to do right by our customer and by our carriers. Um, we, we, we have very strong core values as a company, and we really stand by that um, in, in who we hire and who we work with and how we operate. And, you know, as far as just competitive position, you know, our, our contract with Erie is what separates us from a lot of uh, other agencies in town. So what Erie did when they expanded into Kentucky, rather than giving contracts to existing agencies that are already doing a lot of business here in Kentucky or already large agencies, uh, they wanted agencies like our, our us that, you know, that were already working with them, that knew them and knew, you know, their products to open up an office. And they promised us when we did that that they wouldn't give contracts to these other big agencies. Oh. Um, so when I go up against on like a commercial account, I know that this account has, you know, and there's maybe some rare instances, but really they've never seen a quote from Erie before. They've never seen a proposal from Erie. Yeah. Um, and if they're working with the same big players, the USI, Assured Partners, um, you know, Shepard, which used to be Logan the Hunt, and Assured has bought up a lot of the big ones. Um, underwriters group, which actually just got bought out. Really, they're all kind of getting bought. Yeah, consolidation. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot yeah. of consolidation in my business. But um, if they have worked with those types of carriers, which are the big players on these large commercial accounts, or even companies that haven't bought, like Insuremax, which is a great company, but they, they don't have Erie. Um, so, you know, that kind of is what separates us. And when, I, when I'm calling on a prospect, you know, it's I get a lot of the, well, what do you have that my agent can't offer? Right. You know, my agent has every care. They have Liberty Mutual. They have motorists. They have auto owners. They have Cincinnati. It's like and then I actually I love that objection because I'm like, I actually have something to offer that you that, that your agent doesn't and yeah. that you've never seen before. And that is a, a proposal or a quote from the 16th largest carrier in the country. that's only in 12 states in D.C. And that's so eerie. That's eerie. Yeah. And not only that, but we have a preferred contract with Erie. And what I mean by that is we have a fantastic relationship with them. We're the fifth largest Erie agent in the country by premium volume. Oh, wow. And we have won their Quality Agent of the Year Award three times. We're one of only four agencies that have won that more than twice. Wow. Um, there's only, you know, so many that even won it once. Yeah. And I know that, you know, as far as my ability to price things the way I need to, get the coverage I need to, and then when stuff does happen as far as the claim and things like that, I know that, that Erie stands by what they you know, what they offer and, and their customer service. And I know that we're going to take good care of our clients. So yeah. it kind of gives us a unique position, you know, that, like I said, when I kind of come in uh, to an account, you know, it's, hey, I'm, I'm providing, I know I'm providing something unique that you've never seen before and that your agent can't provide for you. Yeah. You mentioned your core values. Can you talk about those? Yeah. So, and I'll probably not be able to remember all five. <laughs> Give us as many um, as you can recall. Yeah. So, um, you know, honesty and integrity is, is probably the biggest one. Um, a lot of times in my industry, um, you know, there's agents that will say things to underwriters or, or put things on applications that aren't true because they want to get the business and they want, you know, they want the commission. Mm -hmm. um, we're big on being honest with all of our employees, with all of our customers and with all of our companies, you know, and that, and I think that when when you are consistently honest and people know you're being honest, that goes a long way. Mm -hmm. um, one thing is competitiveness. We like to hire people that are competitive, and we want to be competitive. I mean, we're trying to grow. We're we want to be uh, you know, we want to write new accounts, and we want we know that a lot of what we do ends up being about price. Now, we like to say that price is only one aspect of many aspects. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just price, but that that's part of it. We want to be competitive on price. We want to be competitive on going after accounts and, and help, you know, and then, um, 
Oh gosh, see, I've only gotten two in, and I, I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. I put you on the spot. We can come back to that. If you're... We have them up on our wall. I see them every day. You well, think you, I have no, you think you, I'm, a, I'm sure more will come back. to You me, have no but... excuse. Yeah, we'll, we'll come. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Um, you mentioned uh, level of service. I'm assuming that, unlike the bigger guys and the transactional people, only looking for a commission, you have a built-in incentive to follow through on the claim side too, because you guys handle all that in house. A lot of folks will just write the policy, get paid and move on, not worry about it. And then outsource the the claim handling. Right. I'm, I'm assuming you guys handle that from start to finish. And so the, the carrier is responsible for handling the claims, but we do get involved anytime that we need to. Um, now, you know, one thing and not to harp too much here on Erie, but they've won a lot of award for customer service on claims handling. That's mm-hmm. one reason we love them. And, you know, but we actually do have an in-house claims manager that we hired. He actually used to work for, he worked for Travelers for 10 years, worked for Erie a number of years, and we hired him to assist with clients that where the claim's not going well. Because at the end of the day, we're selling claims. We're mm-hmm. selling the ability to handle your claim and, and pay out on a claim when you have one. And, you know, so it's really important for us to make sure that goes smoothly and that our, that our clients get paid so we, we actually hired him to strictly just be able to be there to jump in when things aren't going right. You know, and the agent will get involved too. Like I'll, I, you know, I can call the branch manager, you know, I've got his cell phone number. He, he'll pick up for me right away and say, hey, Jack, how you doing? You know, yeah. knows me, knows my wife. And, and, you know, he'll get involved too if he needs to or the claims manager, whoever it is. So we, you know, we jump in as needed, but we also trust that our carriers are going to do the right thing and handle the claims. So when we turn in a claim to them, we, we trust that that's going to go well. They have the resources and everything to handle the claim. If there's an issue, a member of your staff needs to get involved. You're happy to do that to facilitate exactly. it and do whatever you need to do to, mm-hmm. to push it through. Um, I was thinking in terms of price, you have that preferred relationship with Erie. Does that give you an advantage there too, price-wise? It does. You know, I think there's things, um, you know, in commercial insurance, you actually have the ability to, to price an account based on the experience of the account, um, the type of account, the management. So you're kind of doing a lot, you know, when it comes to personal auto and home, you plug in everything. It's an algorithm. That's it's out a number. Right? Yeah, yeah. You can't change the pricing at all. The only thing you can do is change the coverages and the deductibles to change the price. Yeah. On commercial, you actually can go up or down by 50% on the huh. rate, on the filed rates that the, the carrier has with the state. Yeah. And, you know, I think, so we always kind of say in my business, there's two sales on commercial. I'm selling to the underwriter and I'm selling to the client. Yeah. And sometimes the bigger sales to the underwriter. Sure. I know that if I can sell them on why this account deserves specific pricing, you know, assuming all the coverages are there and we can sell them on the service as well, yeah. that I'm going to get the account. Um, you know, bearing that the agent maybe drops a price or something like that. But um, I think our ability to sell accounts to our underwriters because they have so much trust in us and we've consistently performed so for so many years with them yeah. that we, I don't, it's not hard for me to get the pricing I need to get. Whereas a newer agent or an agent with less volume or less yeah. experience or not as good experience historically as us is not going to be able to get that same pricing that I'm able to get. You've got leverage because of your reputation with them. Exactly. They know you're not going to send them a high risk client and under bid it and end up yeah. being a liability. They know we care about our book of business and making sure that we're putting good clients in the books. They, they trust us. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we were talking price. It always amazes me what people are willing to give up to save a few bucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, some people are just price sensitive. You come up and try to sell them something and they have a predefined notion of what the price of it should be. Mm-hmm. And if your, your price is one penny above that, they won't even talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people price is one half of the scenario. The other half is what are you getting in exchange for what you're spending and there's so many people out there, you can't even get to that second part of the conversation because they have this sticker shock uh, price sensitivity. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, I'm, I'm sure you probably run into that in your line of work too, yeah. right? Well, that's one reason I've kind of gotten uh, away from doing as much auto and home as I used to. And I think as an agency, why we've always kind of focused more on commercial. It seems on the commercial side, there's a little less price sensitivity and it's, you know, services becomes very important mm-hmm. when it's a business owner's, you know, livelihood. It's their business. It's their it's their baby. And they need certificates of insurance to be able to, to do the work they do. And they need to, you know, be able to pick up the phone and call someone and, and know that we're going to be there for them and we're going to be able to take care of what they need. Um, you know, I think that makes them a little less price sensitive. They know if they're getting really good service, they're willing to pay for that service. Mm-hmm. On the auto and home side, you might get some people like that. There's some people that naturally know, hey, I'm getting – a really great product with great coverages. And I know that I've got great service with the agency I'm at and with the carrier that I'm with, but 
Auto and Home is very commoditized, mm-hmm. and I blame the insurance companies for commoditizing it. Mm-hmm. All the commercials, the State Farm. You turn, it's like every other commercial is yeah. nationwide, all states, State Farm, Geico, yeah. Progressive. They're just everywhere. And so it's become a commodity. Hey, you can go shop for this thing and just buy it online, and it's just a thing you need to buy. So you can just, whatever the cheapest price is, just buy it. And guess who's paying for those advertisements? You the, are. The customers, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, 10% of your premium. Yeah, I had a guest <laughs> mention in the modern digital world, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you think you're getting away with using Spotify for free, but instead of paying the fee and not getting the commercials and having all your personal information, yeah. like you said, commoditized and, uh, and bought and sold. Um, that's kind of the idea there. Um, we mentioned Erie, but you are an independent agent, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. <clears throat> are there some other lines you'd like to mention? Yeah, so we, you know, we represent probably 12, 13 different carriers, um, I've done, uh, we have kind of a niche program with the American Rental Association. Um, they have an insurance program, and we actually have like their longest standing independent agent. They used to sell direct, and then back in about 94, 95, they went to an independent agent model, and my dad was their uh, their first agent they appointed. And um, it's been a really, really fun market to go after. Equipment and rental and party rental business mm-hmm. owners are just salty there with people. They're great people. I've, I've loved traveling all over the state of Indiana and Kentucky and going and meeting with all these different equipment and party rental owners. And yeah. um, we go to the big American Rental Association show every year, and we have huh. a booth there. Yeah, uh, The insurance program has a booth, and I get to meet agents from all over the country and kind of hear them and then you know get to meet and talk to all these different yeah. business owners. And um, it's just a great industry, and we've I've loved helping them and, and kind of getting involved in that and being a part of the association and giving back to the association. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one. It's kind of like, again, very niche that I've done. And I, I represent the whole state. I do the whole state of Indiana. And then oh. um, I actually kind of share Kentucky with another agent that's out in Bowling Green. He's not real active in the program, so I'm kind of pretty much the de facto guy for Indiana and Kentucky. Um, then our Virginia office does Virginia, D.C., Maryland, and Delaware. So we have about five states that we're kind of the official ARA representative. And that's called the American for, Rental Association? Yep. Never even heard of it. Yeah. So it's um, like if you go to rent like a, you know, a tent, table chairs for like a wedding. Like or a bouncy if you, house. Or yeah, a bouncy house. Or if you go, um, you know, if you're a contractor and you're renting like equipment. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of rental stores. Um, you've probably heard of the big ones or like United Rental. And like sure. around here, Arts Rental is a big one. Uh, there's a number of them. But um, yeah, it's been... It's a really fun niche program, and uh, we've had a lot of success with it. And um, you know, that's kind of the biggest one that comes to mind outside of Erie. Um, we do represent West Bend, um, Progressive, Hanover, Hartford, Travelers, a number of different carriers that have all fi- filled a great need for us. Our agency, they're all great companies. Yeah. Um, but you know, kind of our strongest relationship has been Erie. So. so at the end of the day, you're going to shop around, find them the right um, carrier, the right, right co- combination of benefits, and. Yep. options to best suit the their definitely needs. and yeah. we kind of target um, industries that we know our carriers are good at yeah so you know like i know that like erie is like the best at restaurants so i go oh, out to restaurants yeah they have a square footage program so the rate liability on square footage of sales there's no audit yeah it's been phenomenal so i go after a lot of restaurants knowing that i've got probably the best program out there with erie but that i also have three or four other carriers that if for some reason it's not the right fit for erie i can you know i can shop it with these other carriers yeah when you're training your sales team to go out and find those leads, what's your primary strategy? Are you doing chambers of commerce events? Are you doing, obviously you do BNI and we can talk, talk a little bit about that. Are you doing any cold calling or any type of uh, uh, like uh, social media engagement, um, click for uh, pay for click kind of stuff? Can you talk about that? Yeah, we haven't really done a lot of online or social media stuff. And we obviously we have a website and we try and get, you know, the SEO and stuff or, um, but for the most part, with a new agent, it's, you know, we want you to get involved in the networking. We want you to get involved in the associations. We're involved in the Louisville Apartment Association, Building Industry Association. Um, obviously, I mentioned the American Rail Association. And then a lot of cold calling. When we first start, I, uh, we have my, my dad likes to joke with me. When I first started, he bought me a brand new pair of loafers for my birthday that yeah. I wore for work. And uh, after about three months, I was like, uh, you know, my, or four or five months later, I came up and was like, hey, Jack, what do you want for Christmas? It's like, I need a new pair of loafers. He's like, I just got you some for your birthday. I was like, I was just pounding pavement. Nice. Literally knocking the <laughs> wore, wore a hole out in them, yeah. Wow. And I want all, you know, I think that's the best way to just cut your teeth and learn the business. You're going to stumble upon a lot of great opportunities. You're yeah. going to stumble upon some great timing. You're also going to get rejection a lot, like we talked about, a lot of rejection. Yeah. But I think for a new agent that's trying to build a book of business, you know, the only, you can only get so much out of networking. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you just need to go out and kind of, 
get it and earn it. And um, it's just you get so much great experience from it. And then, you know, the goal will be that after a year or two, you're not really doing that anymore. I mean, here I, I'm eight, nine years into this business, and I I maybe make two cold calls a quarter, mm-hmm. you know. But you don't have to. You which are, yeah, which are strategic. They're more like, hey, I've been trying to get into this business. I'm going to go drop in on them yeah. versus I'm just going to go hit 30 businesses today. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, yeah, because you, once you build a book of clients and if you do a good job for your clients, they're going to refer you. You build centers of influence. You build referral sources. So we've been big on just kind of doing that naturally without doing tons of advertising, without doing any of the social media stuff. Yeah. I think that's better on the auto home side. You know, if you're doing a lot of this, like, kind of uh, marketing, online marketing for the auto and home, which I think could be very good. I know that a lot of agents that have had a lot of success doing that. But since we're more focused on commercial, we've always just kind of said, hey, just go out and get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Just pay pay your dues. Go, like you said, wear out your shoes and knock doors. and Make phone calls. Kiss babies. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Do do all the public stuff. Um, In terms of paying your dues and making those phone calls and building up that book of business, um, what is it, what does an ideal, ideal referral or lead look like to you? Yeah, so, you know, I'd say an existing business that has at least five employees. So um, we always talk about, like, if you've got a fleet of vehicles, if you manufacture a product, if you wholesale products, if you have a brick-and-mortar, you know, store, um, those are types of clients we're looking for. Now, in the insurance business, um, startups can have trouble getting insurance sometimes. I'm happy to work with startups as long as there's someone that's organized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've, I've met with a, a business owner that, or like in this particular case was a restaurant owner. He didn't know what his projected sales were, what his projected payroll was, how many mm. employees he's going to have, how much food he was going to sell. He didn't know. And he was like, that's right. not my ideal client. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'm happy to help people, but you know, I need basic information in order to even provide you with a proposal. Um, so existing clients are good because they've got experience, they've got history, but again, I'm happy to help the new business owners and, um, we've got some carriers that are good at that. A lot of carriers won't even touch you if, unless you've been in business three years. Yeah. That makes sense from a risk mitigation liability Mm -hmm. type standpoint. Were you, are you willing to give anybody a quote, whether they're already working with another company or not, or would you prefer they be more qualified before they come to you? Yeah, you know, early in my career, I would have jumped on any opportunity to provide anybody with a quote. Um, At this point in my career, like I said, you've got to be able to provide me the basic information that I need, and i got to know that you're actually looking to, to, um, to, you know, to potentially switch your insurance if if what I have to offer is better. Um, If it's, you know, if you're just kind of price shopping, hey, I always say uh, price check on aisle nine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not really what I'm interested in. I don't need practice quoting. Yeah. Um, But if if you think I can help you and advise you, then then I'm I'm more than happy to to do that. Yeah. And you've been able to kind of manicure your client list too, as you built up that that book of business and that following. Um, You don't don't have to be as aggressive as going after every every potential lead, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the nice thing about having a book of business. You know, I always try and, you try and teach that to the younger salespeople, but it's hard. And, you know, when, and sometimes when you're brand new, you do actually need practice quoting, you know, mm-hmm. say, hey, this might not be a very good opportunity, but at least you'll get a lot of experience out of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then you'll kind of learn as you go to kind of pick your opportunities. Like, hey, this is a good opportunity. This, this isn't, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah. And in terms of uh, training your sales team, are they kind of building up their books of business too, to where they can be a, a little more selective going forward? Yeah, that's the goal. Um, I've got one person right now. Um, she's dedicated pretty much to auto and home, and we hired her for that. We wanted her to kind of dedicated auto home person, mm-hmm. personal lines. And she, we're not going to stop her from doing commercial. Um, if she has a commercial opportunity, I'm going to jump in and help her as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have um, actually hired a client of mine. He owned a... Um, a diesel repair business, a truck repair business. And uh, I insured him for about three or four years. He came to me and said, hey, I'd like to sell half of my business. Uh, What's the name of the business? Can you say? uh, Yeah, it was Precision Precision Diesel um, out in Shepherdsville. And he sold half of his business to his client, uh, to his partner and his, you know, his share and um, came to work for me. And um, it's been great. He's just been crushing it. Nice. Um, And then I've got another salesperson that's been with me for about six years um, who's got a pretty established book and has been doing a good job and continue to grow his book. So it's the four of us right now, and yeah. uh, it's a fun. We're kind of a fast-paced, um, you know, competitive environment, but we're also very 
laid back and, and get along really well. So. What have you learned from managing people like that, from leading a sales force and training and motivating and uh, that yeah. kind of stuff? Well, <laughs> you learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? At the end of the day, it's all about self-awareness, right? Yeah, you learn a lot about yourself. I mean, I think so I've never been a very patient person. Yeah. And I think I've grown leaps and bounds in my patience by managing people. Um, just knowing that, like, hey, they're they're doing their best. They're trying to figure this out. They want to, They're motivated. They're trying to figure this out. But it takes time. It takes knowledge. It takes education. So, you know, just being there to answer, whether it's, a, you know, doesn't seem like the best question, doesn't matter. Just be patient. Be kind. Answer it. You know, if it's the same question over and over again, it's like, okay, why is this not sticking? Let's yeah. talk about this. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but you got to do it in a diplomatic way and yeah. you have to meet them where they're at, right? For sure. And like, I think for me too, since I'm still selling, I'm still trying to grow my book, that just the balance of, okay, I've got a client that needs something or I'm trying to run a quote and then I've got, you know, someone, one of them coming into my office needing something, just kind of learning to prioritize. Like, um, if what I'm doing is, is crazy important, like, hey, can you wait a second? Or if I know what I'm doing, can wait, let them come to me and, you know, and work with them on it. So, and then when they first start, I try and spend as much time as I can with them as possible. Yeah. Shadowing me, me going out and running appointments with them, um, you know, and then when they have accounts to work on, I think those are the best opportunities to learn, mm -hmm. right? When you're actually doing it. Like, mm -hmm. I think you learn from doing something so much easier than you can from just listening to someone else tell you how, how to do it. Yeah. Um, and then you can, walking through the accounts with them and, and talking to the underwriter and having them, you know, kind of learn all these things. That's always, I feel like been the best way. Yeah. This branch is your baby, right? I mean, you it started is. it. Yeah. Was it just you and maybe a few support so, staff when you started or? So the idea actually, when I came down, I've Erie rolled out their purse lines first and then a year later their commercial lines. So we actually had a guy that was from Liberty Mutual that came down, started up for purse lines. He was a auto home guy the idea was that he would kind of run the auto home side of things. I'd come down and run the commercial side of things. Um, about six to 12 months after I moved here, uh, really wasn't just, and he had been here about a year and a half, two years. It just really wasn't working out. Mm -hmm. um, and so we ended up letting him go, and then I kind of took over as branch manager. So originally it was just the two of us, and then we we actually hired the one producer I mentioned. been with us about six, seven years. Um, we hired him on. Uh, like shortly after I moved down. And so it was kind of the three of us, just sales. It was just a satellite sales office. Yeah. And then um, about maybe six to 12 months after I moved here, we hired a service person who's still with us. Um, she's awesome. She's kind of become our office manager. Yeah. And um, so I kind of assumed the role of branch manager and sales manager, um, you know, maybe 12 months after I moved here, kind of more so. At first, it was just kind of no one really needed to manage it. It was just kind of, just go out and sell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need revenue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't need anyone to manage anything because there is nothing to manage. Right. <laughs> you know, Give just, me something in here and then we'll start managing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I just that role just kind of evolved as we grew, as we hired more. It was like, hey, well, if we hire another salesperson, there's no one else here to manage them and train them but me. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, at first, because I was still so young and growing my book, we tried to hire someone that had insurance experience. So I didn't really have to like train them. Mm -hmm. um, this gentleman had been uh, already let go at a couple other places. And we thought, oh, we can you know fix them or whatever. I don't know. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out. We've kind of come to the conclusion that the best way to go about it is hire someone that has a few years of sales experience, yeah, or you know a little bit of sales experience, but doesn't know insurance. Uh -huh. We always kind of talk, almost anyone can learn insurance, but not everyone has the natural ability for sales, right? right? Or the ability to learn sales. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It always said this uh, mantra, like, hey, if there's 100 lawyers on a bus, how many of them could you teach insurance? Yeah. All 100 of them. Yeah. How many of them can cold call? Yeah. Maybe Very eight few. of them? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Five of them? You know? Yeah. Um, so we've kind of figured out, I think we've gotten better at hiring, and we've gotten better at training as we go. It's always an improvement. We can always improve, obviously, and we will never say we've cracked the code to anything, but... Yeah. Um, but it's been a learning experience and we've learned a lot. So. Don't you think it's interesting what motivates and doesn't motivate people? We yeah. had, we had a guest on named Mike and uh, he has a company that's, uh, called culture index. And it's basically, he describes it as a uh, money ball for your business. So he, 
goes in and does in-depth analysis and interviews with your employees and tries to identify their personality type, how they like to get recognition, how they don't, what motivates them, what doesn't. It's really fascinating. And he told me that he worked with a company and they had a annual awards banquet. And this girl, I forgot what position she was in, but she was a rock star. She was phenomenal. So they thought, okay, let's bring her up on stage and give her a trophy and tell her how great she is. Yeah. She was horrified <laughs> because a certain personality type doesn't want public recognition. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so he had to learn the hard way with this girl, this employee, that you what you do is you give her acknowledgement as part of the team, and you can acknowledge her if you want, but with everyone else. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Or you go to her personally and say, hey, you're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I took away from that. It's really interesting what motivates and doesn't motivate people. For sure. And you've got to learn with that um, when, you're, when, when, you're, when you're managing people and training them. Uh, another thing I heard was um, the thing about delegation is that it's good news and bad news. Mm-hmm. The bad news is they're not going to do it the way you would do it. The good news is they're not going to do it the way you would do it. <laughs> and if you can understand to accept the things about them, they do the way they do th- things that aren't you know exactly the way you would do it and in turn embrace the things they bring to the table that you might not have thought of or they have a different approach, you can really learn to build your team up and, and um, get them to a place where they can do things as a team that you could not do individually. Can you t- talk about that? Have you had any examples of that or... Yeah, you know, I think it's true. I think, um, you know, I've learned that some of my salespeople, like, they kind of want more feedback from me than others. Like, hey, I want to do a review and, like, kind of see where we're at. And I'm, um, like, want to, I constantly know that, like, they're doing a good job. And then others just want to be left alone, you know, (laughs) which I think to your point. And uh, so I think just learning how to cater to each person, letting them know, like, hey, great job. You had a great month. Um, you know, or, or, Hey, let's set up a time to let's go have lunch and we can kind of talk about where you're at and things like that. So I think I get, I get so much in my own world. Um, it's not that I'm not, you know, kind of monitoring what they're doing and, and, and being aware of what they're doing, but if they're not, if they're doing a bad job, I'm going to let them know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I think maybe they don't always realize like, Hey, not hearing from Jack is, means that he's happy with what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> you so know? your no news is good news. Yeah, Jack. no news is good news. And maybe and I've yeah. had to learn that I need to be give more affirmation sure. and more feedback. So I'm working on that. Um some folks don't need it. Some people have to have it. Exactly. You know, I think there's there's like different sales personality types. I've never heard of the book Challenger. They I talk haven't. about seven different sales personalities. One of them they call the lone wolf, like just, yeah. just leave me alone and let me <laughs> yeah. do my thing. Get and they out might, of my way, I'll make yeah. you a bunch of money. They might not always like do it exactly how you want them to do it, but the end result is going to be a good yeah. result. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think there's just learning what each person's style is. Um, you know, like personally, what motivates me is is the recognition. Like I want the recognition. I want to know that, you know, but the, I think – at least that's how I started out. Now, at this point in time, I think being more in a management position, I kind of just, I care more about the growth of the business and and our employees more than I do about any of my own personal recognition or, or money or anything like that. And I think, you know, some some people, they're in sales purely just for money. If that's their motivation, I don't love that. I think your motivation needs to be a lot more than just money. Obviously, like, we all need money to live our lives, but... If you're purely motivated by money, you're probably not going to end up being very good at sales. Mm. Have you heard the brain surgeon example? You have an advanced form of brain cancer, and there's two surgeons you can choose from. The guy who is the best surgeon on the planet, but he's purely in it for narcissistic reasons. He wants to be the best surgeon. He wants to live the lifestyle and make the money and drive the car and Mm. speak at all the events and stuff. Or you can have the guy that's pretty good. And just maybe a notch below this guy, and he's motivated by, or she, he or she, mm-hmm. uh, are motivated by strictly altruistic uh, ideas. They want to give back. They want to help people. They want to do the right thing. I'm picking the guy who's the best. I don't know about <laughs> you. So at a certain point, it's nice to have ideals, yes. right? But at a certain point at the end of the day, uh, uh, pragmatism comes into play. So when you mention the guy or gal who's only motivated by money, not necessarily lasting long in sales, it made me think of that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of transition into uh, more about Jack the human being here, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I am 43 years old. I'm 18 years into being an entrepreneur. And uh, every year that passes, 
especially starting a few years ago, I feel this ever an ever expanding need to help other folks that might not be where I'm at, you know, mm-hmm. professionally or personally. I, I view the path of success as climbing a ladder rung by rung. And I find myself looking down a lot to people who are ambitious people working hard, looking for an opportunity. And I want to reach down, reach down and kind of, you know, give them a hand, help pull them up some of those rungs. Do you, do you feel an obligation to do that now that you're down that path of build, building and growing a business? Can, can you talk about that? And Yeah. So I think kind of going back to motivation, really like one of my biggest motivators is being able to provide a, a vocation, right? So more than just a job. Provide a career, a, a fun, safe place to work for people. Meaning, a uh, sense of purpose. Yeah, meaning and purpose. You know, um, like one of the people I've hired uh, recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, didn't really know what she wanted to do, and didn't really have much experience in any one thing. It kind of jumped around a lot, and we really kind of gave her a vocation and a purpose and. She loves what she does now, and she views this as a long-term career. Nice. You know? Doesn't and that feel good? It feels great, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had another person um, that my wife met at the Gildas Club. Are you familiar sure. with that? yeah. Yeah, so um, she was another a cancer survivor like my wife, and she had been out of work for about a year and a half, and um, because she had just gone through all the stress of cancer and stuff, to just and she was in this like kind of high performing accounting job, oh. um, like for a casino and yeah. it was really stressful, a lot of long hours. She wasn't, she was really kind of scared to go back into the workforce. And it was tough. It was like, this girl has an MBA and all this accounting experience. I'm like, it doesn't really translate to insurance though. But we're, yeah. I was just like, you know, Hey, well we can, we've got a job opening as a receptionist. If you want to kind of, I know I don't know if that's beneath you or not, just start, start low. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, she just kind of fell in love with the company and our culture. And now she's making double what she did when we first started her out. And nice. she's, you know, going on to us, um, you know, she's got her insurance license and she's, you know, same thing, got this vocation and this career. And despite her accounting background, she's like, this is, this is what I, I'm, you know, this is what she loves to do now. So, yeah. um, and we give her the flexibility to work from home, you know? So I think those kind of motivations for me are what's bigger. Like I've, we've taken employees that felt like they were these big agencies that felt like they were just a number. And if they needed, you know, extra time off from work or they need to be able to work from home certain times and go let the dog out or whatever, they didn't have that opportunity. And, you know, we're a very family oriented agency. You know, we bring people in, we can provide the same salary and the same benefits that they were getting before, but now they have that flexibility and that kind of more family culture and lifestyle. So I think it's, um, that's hugely motivating for me when a client has a, a claim, and I can you want to talk more about me? No, personally. <laughs> no, talk about what you, you're, you're here. Um, it's the Jack show. So when, you know, the other thing that I think provides a lot of like sense of satisfaction for me or purpose, um, is like if a client's going through a serious claim and, and you're be able to there, be there for them. I had a client, um, last summer that called me Sunday night at 6 PM. I don't, I don't pick up my work phone at 6 p.m. on Sunday. <laughs> right. Um, but I let it go to voicemail unless I know the number and I know that they wouldn't call me unless it was an emergency. Right. But I didn't I didn't have this number saved. It was an auto home client. I let it go to voicemail. I get the voicemail. It says, he says, my house is on fire. Oh, wow. So I obviously immediately called him back. Sure. Filed the claim, looked up the address, drove out there, called a restoration company on my way out there and said, I've got a client with the house on fire. I need you guys out here as quickly as possible. And my restoration company contacts, she knows if I'm calling her at 7 p.m. on Sunday, she knows why I'm calling. Yeah. So she picked right up, got her crew out there. I went out there and said, can I buy you guys you know, some food? Can I go a hotel residence for you? What can I do for you? Sure. Those are the types of moments in my career that have felt so much more meaningful than just selling a policy and moving on. Yeah. You know, um, those people are devastated. It was their livelihood. Imagine, I mean, I've had two clients their house burned down, and I just... If it was me personally, I'd be 100% devastated. And in both instances, these clients were crying, were crying to me when it happened. Yeah. Um, I can see by the look on your face just telling yeah. the story. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. It, it impacted yeah, you. Your... They thought they lost their cat. They found it a week later, thankfully. Okay. Um, Cats are crafty, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one um, was a generator that exploded. This was like back in 2017. Somehow their dog was like 
far enough away it didn't didn't die. I was oh, like, wow. both, in both instances, I was shocked the animal didn't die. Yeah. Um, but you know, being there for people in those moments, you know, is it's important. It's it's big. It's yeah. I can tell by the look on your face and just the way you're telling the story. It's personal to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you you're you're exuding empathy and compassion right now. Yeah. That's cool. So there's a little bit of a crossover between the professional relationship, but also having that personal connection to your clients. And I would think uh, it's something you ho- you hope your clients never have to file a claim, right? Yeah. But if they do, uh, you're going to be there for them and do the right and do right by them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, shifting back to um, taking care of your people on your team and your office, I always thought it was a great responsibility. Number one, but also a privilege to know that the opportunities that my company creates helps people pay their mortgages. It helps them send their kids to a good school and helps for them sure. save for their retirement and so forth. Yep. Um, that's a, it's a, a, a big responsibility first and foremost to know you have to keep running the business responsibly with integrity and keep money coming in to do that. But B, it's a great privilege and an honor to be able to do that, you know? Definitely. So. Yeah, no, I, I love when my, my employees tell me that they're buying a house or buying a new car. One of my employees bought above ground pool recently i'm like that's awesome yeah. <laughs> you know or have, um, starting a family or whatever yeah start be. a family just yeah. hearing about their successes yeah um being able to t- go and take nice vacations the fact that you know we're able to give them the pto they're they have the money to book those things you know yeah. i'm not one of those types of uh managers or bosses that when they're when a boy says oh, i'm gonna take some time off and go here i'm i'm like all right well what am i gonna know, do while yeah, you're gone? yeah exactly yeah. no i'm like yeah. man that's awesome yeah. have a great time i hope i hope I hope it's also, you know, I hope you have a fantastic time. So, um, no, I'm the same way. I think knowing that you're providing, um, you know, and then there, it's a relationship that goes both ways. They're helping the business. Mm -hmm. You're helping them. You know, you provide opportunity for people. And I think, yeah, providing opportunity is a, a, a really rewarding, awesome thing. I like to tell, I like to tell my team members when they thank me for doing something for them, I say, uh, you're welcome, but uh, it's my it's my privilege to do that. Yeah, and, and your success is my success. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great Zig Ziglar once said, uh, "You can have everything you want in life if you're just willing to help enough other people get what they want." So, yeah, for I sure, can t- I can tell that that shows through to you as a human being, but also interacting with your team a- and also your clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have that in common. Um, can you talk about? Um, did you want to talk about your personal beliefs and how that translates into? Um, yeah, I, so, I, I love talking about the things you're not supposed to talk to about <laughs> religion yeah. and politics. Religion and politics, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, yeah, so, and that's actually one of the big things that, so, uh, my dad is a devout Catholic, uh, I'm, I'm a Catholic, my mom is actually very evangelical, so it's funny, I kind of got oh, exposed yeah. to both sides, which, yeah. um, so I'm like kind of maybe a cross between the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I love the Catholic Church. Um, but I am probably a little more evangelical than most Catholics, but, um, so my, my dad is really, really big on, on doing everything with integrity through, through God and, 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 and running our business in a way that would honor God. Yeah. Um, so, and he, he talks, I, I always, after every single interview I have, um, I talk, I call my dad afterward and I say, just tell him, give him feedback. Yeah. I talked to this person, you know, blah, blah, blah. His first question is always like, are they a believer? Oh really? Yeah. And when you say interview, like interviewing a client, interviewing a, a, a prospective, prospective client. employee, or an employee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm not allowed to ask that. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's laws against that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's like, yeah, but could you tell? Did get you a get a sense? It, Did you yeah. get a feel? Um, so you know, my family is is very. Um, I don't know. These I don't like the word religious, but we're very uh, faith based, mm-hmm. and um, you know, a lot of the things I do in my life are uh, because of my faith and. Um, I'm not at a place in my journey with my faith that I'm, you know, nearly as strong as my parents, but, um, the belief has never wavered. Um, you know, my wife and I really looked around for a, a church here in Louisville and, um, when we first moved here and then because of some circumstances with having to be out of town a lot, um, we never really kind of found our niche. I, every time I think about it, like right now, I'm like, man, I need to figure that out <laughs> i've got several connections in that space i can yeah. get you plugged in yeah i would love to i'll hear, do that yeah i love love to get connected from yeah you. um i've got connections from the small you know just uh non-denominational base mm-hmm. all the way up to the big uh like southeast christian or that kind yeah. of thing so we'll yeah. talk afterwards about yeah, that. for yeah for sure yeah so you know it's one of those things and like i one of the biggest things i do um i have you heard of the um 
Uh, Bible in a year. Bible and a year? Bible in a year. Uh, no, but I'm assuming you read the book in a year. So, yeah, so you yeah. read it in a year. Um, it's this priest that does it. So he yeah. reads um, for like 15 minutes, and then he like talks for like five minutes afterwards. It's like a 20-minute podcast. And you do uh, it every day for a year? I Yeah, I wish I could say oh, I was so good at doing it. That's the goal, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I, that's the biggest way I like to kind of contemplate and, and, and spend time with God is doing – doing that um, little 20-minute podcast, usually just like in the morning if I'm like walking my dog or just kind of getting yeah. ready for work. Um, I try to spend more time like in quiet and prayer. Um, I always, you know, need to improve that area. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that's, you know, faith is definitely a big part of my life and my family's life. And it's, uh, you know, without that, I don't think I'd be as successful as I am. Yeah, my story is a little bit different than yours. I grew up Christian in various different um, churches and things like that. And uh, at various points during that that process, I didn't believe. I did believe. Um, it, today, I describe myself as an agnostic atheist. Okay. Um, but I'm probably the least hostile towards religion agnostic <laughs> atheist you'll ever meet. Um, I, um, Insofar as I'm a good person now, Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was raised in a Christian environment with Christian values. Yeah. Um, I have the same values as you. If you were drowning, I wouldn't check your card to make sure you were, <laughs> you know, uh, Lutheran or atheist or whatever. Yeah. I'd jump in and save you, and you would do the same for me. Um, I give uh, religion in general and Christianity specifically a lot of credit for uh, the majority of the good work done on the planet. I mean, there's a good chance that there's a clean water being run to a village or a school's being built or children are being educated or cared for or fed. There's a religious person behind that. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Christianity specifically, uh, not exclusively, but uh, I'm most familiar with that Mm because we're a primarily Christian country, does an absolute ton of that. And I don't understand why the atheist community and the non-believing community is so generally so hostile towards those that believe. Don't you realize... Most people who go to church on Sunday are told to love their neighbor and have compassion and forgive yeah. people and be kind and do good things for people. That makes, every, you know, those are... Th- yeah, the values are... Yeah. yeah. I don't know how anyone could dislike the values that are being taught. You yeah. Know? And for yeah. me, it's just strictly intellectual. I got a degree in philosophy and I'm into physics and science and math mm-hmm. and a lot of that. It just doesn't work for me. The packaging, the you know, what it's wrapped in, but the values inside the packaging are mm-hmm. what matter, you know? Yeah. And so I've had some interesting conversations uh, with some believers and non-believers on here. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to start the show was I'm a big proponent of free speech. Yeah. And I find myself defending Christians and conservatives and Republicans all the time when I'm hardly any of three. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they have a right to express their views and to live their life the way they want to and to educate their children the way they want to and worship the way they want to, and um, short of calling for violence or threatening people or committing a crime, I'm a huge proponent of free speech. So um, I'm glad that you shared that with us, and uh, I think the world is a better place, you know, by and large, by religion and Christianity specifically. So I think that's important to mention. Yeah, I agree. Any comments on that or anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, well, so um, my parents live right near this missionary church, just kind of going back to what you were saying, and it's I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool priests, missionary priests over the years from all over the place, um, like Congo and just different different countries in Africa. And um, uh, my dad went and my mom and dad, I didn't get, to, I didn't get a chance to go. I'd, I'm, it's like kind of on my list uh, or bucket list or whatever. But I uh, went and actually met one of the priests that he got to know in, in, in Arlington that was in this really small town in Mexico. Um, and when he when this priest got there, there was trash everywhere. There was like no real education happening. Mm-hmm. He said it built a sanitation system in the town, uh, built a school through the church, mm-hmm. you know, all these different things. And the church really was like kind of the center of the town that really helped kind of rebuild or, or build this town. And it's just really amazing. And it's, it's, I think that's what tough, you know, I know the Catholic church has had all of its issues that have been, you know, in recent light, but you look at the things like the work, the people like that that they're doing, it's it's pretty incredible and it um, it's inspiring. Absolutely, yeah. One of my biggest influences is Dave Ramsey. I've been listening to mm-hmm. his show for twenty years, and I followed his financial principles. But I'm equally as influenced by him, by his value system and his uh, his thoughts on the economy and politics and personal development and his spiritual mm-hmm. walk and all that. And I think I've always been kind of um, blessed, gifted, whatever. Um, with an ability to kind of interact with people and ideas and kind of, kind of pick what I like and 
and I don't have to take it all in and necessarily agree with everything, yeah. <laughs> but I can, I can do that. Understand and, it and respect it. Yeah, and I, at the end of the day, I think the world would be a better place if people who disagree could just sit across from each other, have a conversation, not necessarily to try to persuade the other person, but I believe in this, and this is why I believe it, and hopefully the other person can try to empathize and put themselves in that person's shoes and see, well, I don't have to compromise what I believe and what I think, but I could, at least for a moment, try to understand how, why, from their perspective they came to those conclusions. They have those yeah. beliefs and those values and those ideas. So um, that's one of the core fundamental principles of starting this show is to um, hear what people think and believe and why they think and believe it and yeah. not to persuade or change minds, just to have a conversation and show some empathy and a little respect. So thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, in the interest of keeping the show palatable for our audience, we're going <laughs> to wrap things up here. But I wanted to recap, uh, thank our guest, Jack Pothas, for joining us today. He's with Foundation Insurance here in Louisville, Kentucky. Their home uh, home base is in Falls Church, Virginia. Tell us how to interact with you, the phone number, website, social, whatever yeah. you'd like to. Yeah, so if you Google Foundation Insurance Group, uh, we should, we'll pop right up. Um, foundationinsurancegroup.com is, is the website. Um, phone number 502-822-2668. That's our office number. Uh, my email is jack at F like foundation, I like insurance, G like group. Uh, ky for kentucky.com jack at figky.com so pretty easy to find if you google us um you know anyone that's interested in a quote or just some advice happy to do that sometimes people come to me and they want a quote and i will cover their insurance policies and i say you know you're good where you're at uh or you might want to do this or that but i'm not always uh trying to sell you something just like to help people yeah i can tell you from my experience with dealing with small businesses like yours you're going to get a level of service and attention uh, that you're not going to find from the big guys. You know, mm -hmm. that's just the nature of the deal. So uh, support a local business, help Jack and his team provide for their families and support their uh, their their personal causes by doing business with them. Um, this segment of three questions is brought to you by the nonprofit that I started. It's called See Good to Be Good. It aims to act as a source of hope, motivation, and inspiration to help folks achieve their dreams. We're currently accepting donations to help fund our needs-based scholarship to help a young person pay for their education in the arts. And if you'd like to know more or would like to help, please let us know. I got three questions for you. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Put you on the spot. <laughs> Why are you successful? I think, uh, well, a lot of reasons, I guess. <laughs> My upbringing being what well, first thing comes to mind. Uh -huh. um, the way I was taught. But... You know, I always say my kind of my biggest key to success is education, continuing to educate myself. That allows me to educate my clients, educate my employees. You know, uh, you know, I think education is key. If you don't know what you're selling, you don't know what you're doing, how can you advise? How can you sell it? How can you teach it to others? Mm -hmm. Right. So I think education is probably my number one key to success. Okay. Why are you happy? Hmm, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm happy because of the amount of people in my life that I love and love me back. Yeah. Relationships, I think, are, uh, you know, kind of, so I went to a Catholic high school, and um, the uh, headmasters is really, really um, intelligent, wise, just great man. And um, on his senior year, you take this uh, class with him. And one of the big things he could always stuck with me, he said, you know, a lot of times people will think that they're happy or that they have to measure each other by, by money or looks or, you know, status, status yeah. or, you know, uh, athleticism. Sure. Because the only thing that you should ever measure yourself or anyone else by is their relationships. Nice. And uh, so I think my relationships are what make me happy. Excellent. Final question, what obligation do you feel to help other people uh, achieve success, um, uh, pursue their dreams, et cetera? What obligation do I feel? Yeah. Um, a large one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think yeah, that's another thing that you might um, talk about being happy. I think you're, you're really going to only be truly happy if you are helping other people. Mm -hmm. If you're only doing things for yourself, you're never going to be fully happy. Um, I just recently, well, I guess about a year ago, started doing um, volunteering in the Big Brother Big Sister program. Oh, awesome! Uh, so I'm doing. I have a little brother. Um, yeah. He's uh, lives in. You know, he's um, doesn't have a dad or doesn't know his dad, and uh, I was actually mostly raised by his grandparents. His grandpa passed away during COVID, and he's a great kid. Um, but it's just been really fun, kind of getting to know him and his family, and just kind of you know helping. Yeah. And I, 
you know, I had expectations of like, oh, he's going to open up to me and talk to me. It's not been a lot of that. Well, it takes time. <laughs> it takes time. But yeah. just, hey, just going out and doing fun outings. And, yeah. you know, we went to the Hot Rod show recently. Nice. That did. was really cool. I did too, yeah. Did you? Yeah. What's so his name? Fun. We'll give him a shout out. His name's Vaughn. Hey, Vaughn, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Um, so that's been cool. Yeah. Um, you know, we try to get involved with, like Catholic charities and different stuff like that. So I think giving back and helping, um, it's... It's the only way to truly find happiness. I feel like you know yeah. that and, and and relationships. And if you, if you're in a relationship where it's it's all give and no or it's all take and no give, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to be a successful relationship. You're not going to be happy. So. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, your success is my success. Uh, when it comes to free speech and human rights, your human rights are my human rights. Mm-hmm. Um, when a political issue that shall rename remain un- nameless at this point, not to. Uh, ruffle any feathers came down from the supreme court and i heard someone say well that won't affect me because i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not planning on having a family anytime soon i said wrong <laughs> a threat to anyone's human rights is a threat to everyone's human rights mm-hmm. and so uh i think that's worth mentioning um the great mark twain once said stay away from those people who try to disparage your ambitions small minds will always do that but great minds will give you a feeling that you can become great too i like that yeah um, if you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us for more information. I'd like to take a moment to thank the talented people that work behind the scenes to make this podcast happen. There's the effervescent producer, David Snyder, running audio and video. <laughs> the intrepid David Snyder, casting and scripting the show. And finally, the brilliant and gifted David Snyder, editing and distributing the show online. <laughs> I can barely get through that without laughing. <laughs> I'd like to take a few moments to thank those fine folks for their contributions to the show. I'd like to thank our guest again, Jack Podhast with uh, Foundation Insurance for being here. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, David, 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 and David. Thank you, all four of us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And thank you to our listeners and our sponsors for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we will see you real soon on a future episode of the Respect the Math podcast. Awesome.